Hi, this is Kendall Boyson, professional life and recovery coach, and you're listening to Encouragementology, the practice of instilling hope. Hi there. Thanks for joining me. On this show, we are taking our time letting the candle wax run as we explore the warning, be careful of what you wish for. I'm sure you've thought about it before. If I could have anything, what would I wish for? You might have even played the game when you were young, three wishes. Some of you might have chosen simply for the moment, and others of you might have taken your time savoring each wish and thinking of an all-encompassing answer. I wish for unlimited wishes. But how many of you thought of the after wish? You know, the time after the wish has been granted. What now? How do you live with your choice? How do you manage the gift? Sometimes it's not as simple as granting you what you want, but instead there could be strings attached or conditions. What if it weren't that simple and instead every wish led to an extended responsibility? Maybe instead of wishing, you find contentment where you are and with what you have. Intriguing? Maybe. Let's dig in and see. Ready for your rub on the lamp? I recently read a book, The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue. In the story, the main character, Adeline, is desperately trying to get out of an arranged marriage at the end of the 17th century in France. She has befriended a lady who lives in the woods who taught her to pray to many gods other than the religious god her parents worshipped. She warned her never to pray at night because the god of night wasn't a good one, but an evil one. Unfortunately, that is just what happened. In her desperation to escape and not to be owned by anyone, she made a deal with the devil. She could live forever independently, but when surrendered, her soul would be his. She was 23 at the time of the deal, and she would be 23 for centuries. Sounds amazing, huh? Never grow old. And bonus, she could never die, which meant any injury or accident was immediately rectified. But you didn't think the devil would make it that rich, did you? Now the conditions. Why couldn't she be owned or controlled by anyone? Because as soon as she left their sight, even exiting a room, she was immediately forgotten. She wasn't allowed to say her name or make a mark in any way on this world. Think about that. She couldn't get a job, rent a room, have a friend, or make a home. She couldn't build on more than a first meeting with anyone. No one remembered her. Let that sink in for a minute. What if no one remembered you or what you did? I think we've all wished for eternal youth, but imagine if this were the consequence. Don Hall gives us another example to set the stage. Monkey's paw wishes and the consequences of want found at LitterApe.com. On a wet and windy night, John White, along with his wife and son Herbert, await the arrival of an old friend, Sergeant Morris who has been stationed in India for several years and has recently returned home. When the guest arrives, the conversation soon turns to the mysteries of India. Mr. White is fascinated by the discussion of faraway places and ideas. 
During the conversation, we learn that Morris has brought back a very unusual artifact, the mummified paw of a monkey, which carries with it a magic spell, which can bring three different men three separate wishes. Morris makes it very clear that though the wishes are always granted, the results also bring disaster. He explains that he had gotten the paw from its first owner, whose third and last wish was for death. Morris also explains that he himself had three wishes, thus leaving one more set of three wishes. The sergeant, feeling that the paw has done enough damage, throws it into the fireplace to burn. Mr. White grabs it from the fire, and Morris warns White that he should let it burn. Mr. White, though, keeps the paw and even forces Morris to accept a few dollars for it. After dinner, Sergeant Morris leaves. Herbert scoffs and makes fun of the idea that the paw can make wishes come true, but recommends that his father wish for $25,000. Herbert, who works the late shift at a nearby dam, leaves for work and Mr. and Mrs. White go to bed. The next morning, while the Whites are fixing breakfast, a man from the dam comes to tell them that Herbert has been killed in an accident at work and that they are named as beneficiaries on his insurance policy, a policy for $25,000. The Whites bury their son in a nearby cemetery. A few days later, the distraught Mrs. White remembers the monkey's paw and its two remaining wishes and insists that her husband wish Herbert back to life. Later, there's a pounding at the front door, but the latch is stuck. Mrs. White, believing it is Herbert, hurries down to open the door. The door latch is stuck. An instant before Mrs. White can get the door to open, Mr. White grabs the paw and makes a final wish. He wishes his son dead and at peace. The knocking ceases. Modern life is chalked full of compromises based upon the specific things we really want, but probably don't need. More important, the consequences of these unnecessary but tasty treats are often far worse than we could possibly imagine. Today, we might wish for easy access to credit and loans so that we can buy things that we want but probably don't need. What the monkey's paw gives us is 39% interest rates that obliterate the possibility of ever getting out of debt. We might wish for cheap goods and services. What the monkey's paw gives us is the slow demise of American factories and the destruction of unions. We might wish for amazing smartphones and computing devices. Computers that once took up whole rooms can now easily fit in our back pocket. What the monkey's paw gives us is constant distraction and a lack of communication and human contact. We wish for fast food. What the monkey's paw gives us is fat food. We wish for the ability to interact with society via Facebook and Twitter, thus making these platforms the crucial information dispersal forums for our news, our facts, and our beliefs. What the monkey's paw gives us is propaganda, relentless sales pitches, and opinions versus factual news. In an age of immediacy, 
instant information with a few keystrokes, instant food through a drive through window, instant withdrawals from our bank accounts. We want things, but don't take the time to truly look and see what the commitment consequences will be should we get them. Because these are all things that come with the wish upon the monkey's paw. Does that mean that everything comes with a price? On the surface, it might seem that way, but I'm hoping what we take away is there's always more to consider when looking for an easy out. I thought about how many times I wished my stomach was flat and my scars were gone. Total vanity. But behind closed doors, you talking to yourself in the mirror, don't we all suffer from that? How many times have you said, if I could do it all but keep my children? (laughs) Those are our conditions. I remember one night after a group discussion on self-criticism, a woman came up to me and told me that her sister died giving birth. She didn't say it in a shameful way for my insecurities, but more of an attempt to help me find gratitude. How petty of me to wish for one despite the other. I have three healthy, grown children and a few scars, barely a price to pay. What if a flat stomach meant you could never eat to satisfaction? That your stomach was shrunk, unwilling to take on more food? Or your taste was gone as a preventative measure? Would you still make that bargain? Think about what you've wished for lately and explore what the conditions could be as a result if granted. Mike Fishman helps us understand the happiness trap, why you're never satisfied, and how to break the cycle found at medium.com. You keep working and working, slogging through the doldrums of day-to-day life, repressing your desires for pleasure, looking forward to the day when it all pays off, the moment when you achieve the elusive state of happiness. Or maybe it doesn't pay off. Maybe the expectations you've set, the arbitrary milestone you've defined as success, will never be reached. Or maybe when you do reach your goal, that dopamine hit of success is only short-lived. After a few days or weeks or months, you find yourself desperately seeking the next hit. Hedonic adaption is the tendency for humans to quickly adapt to major positive or negative life events or changes and return to their base level of happiness. As a person achieves more success, expectations and desires rise in tandem. The result is never feeling satisfied, achieving no permanent gain in happiness. Sonia Lubomirsky says, The joys of loves and triumphs and the sorrows of losses and humiliations fade with time. After a significant life event, hedonic adaption occurs as a result of cognitive changes. These changes can include a change in values, goals, attention, or interpretation of a situation. For example, after making your first million dollars, a number you had previously thought was significant, you might start thinking $1 million is really not all that much in the grand scheme of things. The outcome is that no matter how pleasurable or how disappointing a situation is, we return to a happiness set point. 
A happiness set point is where humans generally maintain a constant level of happiness throughout their lives, despite events that occur in their environment. This is according to Dr. Alex Lickerman. One happiness set point is determined primarily by heredity and by personality traits ingrained in us early in life and as a result remains relatively constant throughout our lives. Our level of happiness may change in response to life events, but then almost always returns to its baseline level as we habituate to those events and their consequences over time. The troubling conclusion that presents itself as a result of understanding hedonic adaption is that there may be a formidable barrier to raising happiness over the long term. The hedonic adaption theory shows that positive and negative events do have an impact on how we feel for short periods of times, but not over long term. It helps explain why earning $75,000 annually for a salary is pretty great compared to earning minimum wage, but compared to your friend earning $250,000, it's not so satisfying. It helps explain why when people are unable to eat at five-star restaurants, they get used to cooking at home and actually seem just as happy as the people eating at five-star restaurants. It helps explain why when you quit your job to work on a startup, it feels amazing at first, until you're overcome with the stress of needing to make ends meet. And then when you're forced to take a job again after your startup doesn't work, you're not overcome with crippling depression. At first, compared to your life of freedom and unlimited potential, employment seems dull and defeating, but in time, you get used to it. Coolraj says, Very frequently we hear of great sages discussing the pursuit of happiness as futile and nonsensical, putting happiness in line with all other worldly pursuits, temporary in nature and therefore impermanent and unnecessary, unable to add to our true authentic happiness. If accomplishments and successes, money, fame, love, won't make you happier over the long term, does that mean that there's no sense in working towards them? Should we just set low expectations for ourselves, diminish all hope, squash our own dreams and desires, let ourselves fail? By setting realistic expectations and gaining a true perception of your realities, hedonic adaption can actually be an empowering reminder. Giving the ever-increasing expectations leads to perpetual dissatisfaction. Decreasing expectations seems like a logical strategy. However, if you simply decrease your expectations without living up to your standards, you're in a subtle state of underachievement. Just like expecting less and actually feeling fulfilled for once is not always a poor strategy. The desire for more is not always hedonistic. Sometimes dissatisfaction is valid. Solely decreasing your expectations ensures that you will never reach your full potential. The key is not simply adapting to arbitrary outcomes, but adapting to truth. The truth about your personal preferences, values, goals, and abilities. When you expect less from those around you, you are subtly holding them in contempt. It may be packaged as an act of compassion. However, you are actually treating them as less than they are. You strip them of the ability to live to their full potential. 
When you don't expect yourself to live to your full potential, you ensure that you won't. However, it's defining your potential where things get interesting. How can you increase your happiness set point? If happiness is the difference between expectations and reality, you're faced with two options. Lower your expectations or increase your reality. Lowering your expectations and improving your reality are not end-all solutions. Lowering expectations is demoralizing while continually chasing outcomes fails to provide fulfillment over the long term. However, not all hope is lost. Here are two strategies and six ways to implement them. Set realistic expectations based on your real abilities. Increase your perception of reality by combating irrational thinking. You can set realistic expectations through self-awareness. So number one, hmm, gain self-awareness. Many millennials have been coddled into thinking that they're God's gift on earth. We've read self-help books that lend us to believe we can do anything we set our minds to. And we haven't been exposed to the realities of our genetic abilities. We still don't have an effective way to measure one's abilities. High school diplomas and college degrees have proven insufficient indicators of future success or happiness. IQ, while not perfect, has shown to be correlated with career success. However, it's actually illegal to test for in a job interview. It's very taboo to talk about genetic abilities because we don't want to hurt feelings. By gaining self-awareness and matching your expectations to be in line with those realities, you're adapting to the right set point. This might entail decreasing one's expectations and desires. Decreasing expectation is hard to grapple with. It's not something anyone has ever been willing to tell us we need to do. Only after having realistic expectations is it worth working on improving outcomes. By increasing your reality to realistic expectations, you reach your potential. Instead of desperately seeking realities that aren't achievable or that once achieved are only short-lived dopamine hits, you are at equilibrium. Number two, accept reality. You don't need to have opinions about everything, particularly if they're negative. What matters most is not your opinion. What matters most is reality. Our government is a republic. You need to make money to survive and live comfortably. You may have weaknesses in necessary skill sets. The list goes on. Trying to deny reality is futile. Many things are outside of your control. Wishing and hoping things were different only leads to anxiety. Number three, pursue end goals. Means goals are the tangible outcomes we want to achieve, such as X million dollars or a given job title. Means goals are often only a means to a larger, more fulfilling end goal. Inns goals are our ultimate destinations. Inns goals reflect one's personal values and are often feelings. 
By pursuing an ongoing purpose while gaining happiness from within, you will feel equilibrium. If you think you're in danger, you will feel great anxiety. If you think you're in danger, you will feel great anxiety, even if you're actually safe. If you achieve success, however that may be defined for you, but you don't realize you have or you hedonically adapt to it quickly, you will still feel unfulfilled. One key adaption element is attention. Once we stop paying attention to an event, appreciating a positive event or ruminating on a negative event, we have adapted. Here are two ways to increase your perception of reality. Number one, celebrate wins, even small wins. Celebrating wins reinforces your attention on the positive. For something big like gaining a new client or a new job, treat yourself to something pretty big. For something small, like a client giving positive feedback, grab a dessert. Number two, express gratitude. Expressing gratitude means appreciating what you already have. You can express gratitude every morning. It can be something small like, thank you for my coffee, or I'm so glad I have a wonderful family. Number three, affirm confidence. Here's a great phrase. I'll figure it out. Repeat it to yourself and remind yourself, no matter what comes your way, you have the ability to deal with it. And in the end, you'll be fine. Knowing that you'll adapt to whatever comes your way will increase your state of confidence. Here's your mantra. With these six practices, I know what I can realistically achieve. I'm unafraid of negative outcomes and empowered to take action. The bar is not set too high so that I will never be happy. The bar is not set too low so that I don't feel fulfilled. I make better and more practical decisions. I am happy and fulfilled. My base state of happiness and self-esteem are high. Even if you've spent your whole life pursuing something, once you get it, you adapt to the new reality. It becomes the new base state. Once it's the base state, we're susceptible to the same feelings of inadequacy and underachievement that we had before. It doesn't matter that we work for decades to get there. Once you've got it, it's not exciting anymore. It may make achievement seeking seem inconsequential. If you challenge yourself significantly and bank your happiness on achieving a given outcome, You're in a state of failure until you achieve it. And then when you finally do achieve it, the feeling of happiness is only short-lived as you quickly move on to striving for the next milestone. However, if you don't challenge yourself enough, you'll inevitably feel unfulfilled. When you hold low expectations for yourself, you're thinking less of yourself and selling yourself short. An approach has been self-awareness. Maximize your perception of reality and take action without desperately seeking validation that will only be short-lived. Don't live by comparisons. Live by what's true. Let knowing that you'll adapt be empowering. In The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue, Addie meets a boy after 300 years who actually remembers her. 
What are the odds? She's immediately drawn to him and soon realizes he too is cursed. Less than a year ago, he makes a deal with the devil in a desperate moment. He feels lost and wandering through life, meets a girl he falls head over heels for only to be rejected after he proposes. Feeling he's at the end of his rope, he's ready to end it all when the devil intervenes with an offer for his soul. The boy just wants to be loved. Deal. The next day, the gift is activated and the consequences follow. Everyone he meets falls in love with him. He's the son they never had, the friend they've always wanted, the love of their lives. But nothing about him has changed. All of it is fake. And instead of feeling loved and supported, he feels nothing. Empty gratitude. What if you could do no wrong? Would that feel right? At aconsciousrethink.com, I found six sad reasons why you're never satisfied in life, plus how to be. People do an amazing job of talking themselves out of their own happiness. It seems like that as soon as we attain the things that we yearn for, our gaze shifts to the next thing on the horizon. This constant pursuit of new things, new experiences, new circumstances is an endless treadmill that wears us down until we no longer find the happiness and joy that these things once gave us. And it doesn't help that life is difficult. There's always some terrible thing going on in the world to remind us that we should be more appreciative, doing more, seeking more, trying to find something better in all of this. Instead, we need to understand why we aren't satisfied and work to correct that issue. Let's look at some bigger reasons why you can't get no satisfaction as the Rolling Stones sing. Number one, you don't appreciate what you already have. Gratitude is a common talking point in the space of self-help and mental health. Wherever you look, it's all about gratitude, gratitude, gratitude. Yet it's strange how few people seem to really explain the benefits of gratitude and how it can shape your life let's do that now. Gratitude is about shifting your perception. A person who is focused on everything they don't have and what they want is creating discord within. They constantly tell themselves that they aren't enough, that they need more, that they need to work harder. That's not a healthy narrative to replay over and over in your mind. To be grateful is to break that narrative. Instead of focusing on everything you don't have, you focus on the things that you do have, even if it's not much. Even if your life isn't the best or you've been through some terrible things. Every day we draw breath is a gift and something to be grateful for because a whole lot of people don't have that benefit. It's much easier to be satisfied with yourself and your life when you focus on what you have. You take yourself off the treadmill of get more and the anxiety of the future. In reality, everything you have today could be gone tomorrow. And that's just the way life goes sometimes. 
Number two, you're not challenging yourself. Many people limit themselves through their own fear and anxiety. What is it that you really want? Are you pursuing it or are you afraid of pursuing it? Do you want to launch that business? What if it fails? What if it costs you everything and puts you in debt? What if nothing goes right? Do you want to build a loving family? Are you putting yourself out there, allowing yourself to be vulnerable and taking risks that comes with being vulnerable to new people? Instead of putting the energy into things that we actually want, we distract ourselves with subpar goals that don't push our own boundaries. How are you to be satisfied with your life when you aren't in tune with what that is that makes your soul sing? If you want to be satisfied in life, you have to pursue the things that call out to you. But hang on, I hear you say, didn't you just tell me to be grateful for what I already have instead of chasing more? Yes, but there's a difference between challenging yourself and not being grateful for what you have. In fact, setting yourself challenges and practicing gratitude are not mutually exclusive. You can do both at the same time. It's all about finding a happy medium between living well within your comfort zone where you might not pursue that which makes you truly happy and pushing yourself so hard that you don't enjoy the benefits of your endeavors. No challenge often means no satisfaction. Likewise, too much focus on the challenge leaves little room for satisfaction. Does that make sense? Number three, you're not living in the present. Things were so much better off. Well, maybe they were. Maybe they weren't. Things will be so much better in the future. Well, maybe. Life doesn't always go as we plan. Sometimes we can't manifest our dreams in the way that we hoped. Or maybe life just threw you a massive curveball and you now have to deal with the fallout of something terrible. Illness happens, people die, tragedies abound, and none of us are special enough to avoid that tragedy. It's all a very normal part of human experience. It's also normal to long for a time when things might have been better, when the world might have been shinier, and before the tragic thing happened. The problem is that we don't have that luxury. It's as much of a waste of time as longing for a future that we don't have yet. Satisfaction with life can only be found in the present moment. So you must live in the present to feel satisfied. You're not doing that if you're longing for the past that's gone now or the future that may never come. Bring your mind back to the present when you find yourself daydreaming about the future or missing the past. How can you improve your present? How can you find happiness at this moment right now? Those are the questions you ought to be asking. Number four, you don't have any goals or desires. Do you realize how hard it is to be satisfied with your life when you don't even know what you want out of life? It's a catch-22. On the one hand, you want to find satisfaction with your life. On the other hand, 
you don't know what will actually make you satisfied. Where do you start? What do you do? How do you know what to do? Want to know a secret? The really secret secret? It doesn't matter what you do. The most important thing is that you stop wondering, stop thinking, and start doing things. You can spend years idly wondering and contemplating, and you'll have absolutely nothing to show for that time spent. Compare that to the person who actually dives into their work and starts moving. They will get to where they are going much quicker. An easy way to find the things that will fulfill you in life is to get out there and do things. These experiences teach you what you like and what you don't like and expose you to opportunities you may not realize. It also includes other people who you may massively impact or that might open doors for you. But what if I make the wrong decision? You will. We all do, sooner or later. Accept it as inevitable. When that happens, be grateful for the experience and move on to the next thing. That's as complicated as it needs to be. Life doesn't always go how we want it, but we can head in a general direction where we think we might want to end up. And who knows, you may find satisfaction in some remote niche that you never had any idea would be right for you. Life's strange like that sometimes. Number five, you don't finish what you start. Satisfaction often comes from seeing a project or goal through to the end, but some people have a problem with finishing what they start. Instead, they jump around from one thing to the other, doing little bits here, a little bit there, dabbling in various activities or areas of work, rather than sticking with one thing for a prolonged period. You might call it shiny object syndrome because as soon as this person starts one thing, their head is turned by something other that they imagine will be even better and more enjoyable than the one they have. They always long for the next shiny object, believing that it will be the one that brings them satisfaction. What they get instead is a pile of half-finished projects trailing in their wake. So when you put your mind to something, really go for it. Dive deep into that and try it for all it's worth. See it through to completion and you'll feel better for it. It's a bit like reading half a book before tossing it aside and starting another one. You'll never feel satisfied not knowing how the story turned out. Get to the end. Turn the final page on a project, bask in the warm glow that comes from finishing something. Number six, you're living outside of your means. Have you ever heard the phrase lifestyle creep? Lifestyle creep is a term used to describe an increase in spending habits to match higher income. That is, when you get that big promotion or finally land the better job, you increase your spending because, hey, now you can afford it. This also accounts for the general spending of money on everyday objects because you have more disposable income. The problem is that this can easily disrupt your life and pull you further behind. The other issue with living outside of your means is using financing to get the things you want. A new car might be fantastic. Owing 30000 on it 
not so great. Another term used to describe this type of thing is golden handcuffs. It's a term often used to describe people who shift from a low-earning job or education into a highly paid career. They go out and buy a fancy car, a nice house, new clothes, and now they must maintain that job and high income to maintain it all. They no longer have the option to just dip out of that situation if they don't want to because they're wrapped up in financial responsibility. It's kind of hard to be satisfied with your life when you're trying to keep all the plates spinning so that they don't come crashing down around you. The best solution for this is to develop good money habits, develop a budget, and live below your means. What about that person who wins the lottery expecting all their worries to be over only to create more than they had before? I want to leave you with four inspiring messages from the invisible life of Addie LaRue. What is a person if not the marks they leave behind? Addie is determined to make a mark and leave a legacy. She experiments through art and music despite the limitations brought on by her curse. Addie also finds the will to make the most of her time and live through monumental pain to find moments of triumph. Ideas are wilder than memories. Though she has to deal with being forgotten by all the people that she meets throughout her life, she still manages to make use of her ideas to make an impact through timeless art pieces that are more lasting than memories. Nothing is all good or all bad. As the adage goes, there are always two sides to a coin. In the invisible life of Addie LaRue, Addie is given immortality with the curse of never being remembered. She lives through centuries without keeping contact with her acquaintances. Despite the obstacles, she still tries to live a meaningful life and leave an impact in the end. Her story shows that nothing is purely good or bad. It's what you make of your situation that matters. Blink and the years fall away like leaves. Time is valuable This line serves as a reminder that we don't have complete control over our existence, so we have to make our journey meaningful. We may not be able to control time, but there will be no room for regrets if we live a life to the fullest and make a difference during our lifetime. If you want to share Encouragementology with a friend who needs to know they are not alone in this journey of self-discovery, you can visit Encouragementology.com or anywhere you stream your content to receive this episode and all others. Follow us on Facebook for additional encouragement throughout the week. So I challenge you, count your lucky stars and find gratitude in the life you have. Before you make a deal for more, explore the conditions and impact a wish granted will have on your life. It's all in the power of perception. I know you can do it. Thank you for listening to Encouragementology with Kendall Boyson, where we find positive ways to handle some of life's challenges. Someone through until the path was clear. That's when I found you. How I